Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 to 16. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is God's word. Father, thank you for uniting us as a church. And how you do that is uh, by your word and spirit. And so please, now, as we come to look at this fabulous word in Matthew's gospel, would you indeed give us uh, understanding by your spirit? Would you move our hearts so that we don't only get it, but we view Jesus as wonderful? Would we not just understand? Would we see him, we ask, for his name's sake? Amen. Look, I guess the question of this little passage is, is not a complicated one. How much is Jesus worth? How much is Jesus worth? I don't know, maybe uh, a trip twice a year to his place, church, and uh, a tenor in a pot, maybe. Oh, a bit more than that, if you're a Christian. Uh, I don't know, 100 quid a month, a couple of hours a week. How much is he worth? If you've got to put a value upon him. I mean, everyone has their price. What price Jesus? Uh, my extensive research, uh, Ella Wiki, uh, tells me that um, the largest ransom ever paid in uh, history was 135 million pounds, excuse me, dollars, 135 million dollars that billionaire uh, Li Xing uh, paid for his son who was kidnapped all the way back in 1966. That's a long time ago, but that is still quite a lot of money, 135 million pounds to pay for your son. He clearly thought his son was worth uh, that amount. Now, I thought that's very impressive. I did a little bit of research, but back in 1966, Li Xing was worth $25 billion. So $135 million is less than half of 1% of his total worth. So actually, I reckon you could have gone for a lot more if you were the kidnappers in that particular case. Because surely someone values their own child more than half of 1% of their total worth. But anyway, $135 million, that's quite a lot of money. How much is Jesus worth? 
He's got to be worth more than that. Because Christians say he's God. And if you are a Christian, you'd say he's died to save you for eternity. So how much is he worth? This passage in the beginning of Matthew 26, you get two very different answers. Judas. Judas thinks that Jesus is worth just a few coins, not a lot. The woman, oh, he's worth everything. This wildly extravagant gesture that she makes uh, that we'll look at. How much is Jesus worth? Everything. Now, uh, some will know if you're regular here. Back in the autumn, we got as far as uh, the end of chapter 25. Actually, it's been, if you're, you know, if you're been here ages, you know, it's been a sort of seven-year odyssey through Matthew's gospel off and on. So uh, we're near the end, and it, actually, we're, I'm quite excited. By the Easter, I'll get to chapter 28 and I'll finish the book. It'll only take about seven and a half years, but you know, um, good not to rush these things. But you'll know if uh, you've been with us for much of Matthew, that Matthew, uh, the way he arranges his gospel, there are five main teaching blocks such as the Sermon on the Mount, and then 8 to 10, and on it goes. Five main blocks, and they're signified, they all end with this phrase that's here in 26 verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying all these things. That's how every block ends. When Jesus had finished saying all these things. So we've had at the end of his last block, his teaching is over, and these last three chapters are his work. Not an epilogue. It's all been building up. All his teaching has been building up to this. And so the last three chapters, the headline over them is chapter 26, verse 2. As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. That's what it's all about, these three chapters. The Son of Man, Jesus' favorite title for himself, will be handed over. You get that little phrase 18 times in this section. He's handed over, handed over, handed over to different people in order to be crucified. Jesus knows precisely what he's going to do. Of course he does. It had been planned before eternity. Right at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, the angels appear on the scene and say, this one is called Jesus. Why? Because he'll save you from your sins. Jesus says, let me just declare again very clearly, at the beginning of this final section of the book, I'm going to be crucified so that people can be saved from their sin." That's what I'm about. And that's the headline that uh, sort of interprets uh, most of what's going on. Now, this section, these three chapters, Matthew loves contrasts. He keeps putting up one person, then another next to them, say, what do you think of these two? You get a little contrast right at the beginning. Jesus knows precisely what he's going to do. And then you get the the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled. They want to kill him, but they're flapping. They don't know how to do it. Verse 4, they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. Oh, not during the feast. There'll be a riot among the people. We can't do it now. You don't kill Usain Bolt during the Olympic Games. That's the sort of people might notice. You don't kill Jesus during Passover. He is the man at the moment. Everyone knows who he is. I'm very excited about him. So they're in a bit of a flap and have got a problem. Jesus in control is the first contrast. But what we're looking at then really is the woman and Judas. The woman... Values Jesus extravagantly. Judas values him cheaply. Very simple, just those two things. Okay. What is Jesus worth? The woman values him extravagantly. Judas values him cheaply. Let's take them in turn. First, that is this woman who valued Jesus extravagantly in verses 6 to 13. Verse 6, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. So it's a very pleasant dinner party at Simon the leper's house. He can't still be a leper because you can't 
share a room with a leper. They've got leprosy. They are both dangerous for you, but also they're ceremonially unclean. So this is a man who's probably had leprosy but been healed, and this is his nickname, Nice. So I'm going for dinner at uh, Simon the leper's house or maybe something else. Uh, I'm going for dinner at uh, Peter the hernia's house or Trevor the tumor's house or whatever it may be. That's his nickname. But anyway, he's obviously got a good cook because they all go. It's a nice dinner party. A woman comes in. Why is she, what's she doing there? You don't have women at dinner parties in the first century. In the, so I'm sorry about that. It's just the culture back then. She's either a servant or a gate crusher. But neither way, the, the emphasis upon what she's carrying. A woman came to him, Jesus, with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume. Matthew sort of piles up the terms here. He's saying, hey, a woman comes in and she is really carrying something. Now, Matthew will tell us, it's, uh, excuse me, Mark tells us in his gospel, it's nard, very expensive perfume. Comes from Nepal, so you've got to transport it there. You don't do that by airplane. This is, this is good stuff, highly expensive. And what does she do with it? She poured it on Jesus' head as he was reclining at the table. That's not an insult, of course. That's a polite thing to do. Again, culture in the first century, when your guests arrive, you would dab a little oil on them. Quite often you have it in a block and it would sort of melt slowly into the hair because it's a hot country and sometimes the men get fragrant and so everyone enjoys the dinner party more with a little oil uh, dabbed uh, here and there. But this is wildly generous. This is expensive stuff. An alabaster jar, uh, that's a, a clay thing that's sealed. So to use it, you snap it. So it's not like your expensive bottle of Chanel number no. 5, which you take the lid off and do a little dab, apparently, something like that, I don't know. But um, it's like a bottle of wine. Once it's opened, its value is gone because you've exposed it to the air. Now, Mark, again, will tell us that this bottle of perfume was worth a year's wages. Okay. So this is quite a gesture. That she makes, whatever a year's wages is. So 27K if you're a newly qualified teacher, just 60K if you're a newly qualified lawyer, whatever it may be. A year's wages, just gone in one little gesture. It takes you a long time to save up a year's wages if you tried it. Whatever your annual salary is to save it takes a little bit of a while. I don't know, maybe this is an heirloom from great aunt Mabel uh, that's been left to her. And she just says, oh, I'll give it all. In one moment, I'll give it all to Jesus. Amazing. Uh, here is a picture. Here's, this is the most expensive bottle of wine in the world. I don't have it with me. I don't own it. But um, so to, to my surprise, this is Chateau Margaux, uh, 2009, so very recent. Uh, but this was sold uh, in 2009 for £122,000. Now, to be fair, it is a, it is a Balthazar, which, as uh, all of you canossas will know, well, how, you know great, great, there's some brilliant people are going, oh, how big is it? Well, it's 12 litres worth, you know, so more than a crate of uh, a normal wine. So it's a big bottle, admittedly, but 122K. Now, you probably don't just buy that to crack open on a Tuesday night. <laughs> you probably buy something like that for an investment. 
But we're about going to have the Lord's Supper uh, uh, later. Imagine someone comes in tonight and say, well, enough of your sanctifectus or whatever it's called. Chateau Margaux. Chateau Margaux, anyone? It'd be a memorable Lord's Supper, wouldn't it? We at Christchurch have the most expensive Lord's Supper in the world. (laughs) But actually, if we did do that, someone probably would say, is that the best use of the church's resources? Well, that's kind of what they do say. You get two responses to what the woman does. Verse 8, first of all, the disciples. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Now, I don't know about you, but I am a little sympathetic to that. Whatever an annual salary is for you, 27K, 60K, 100K, whatever it may be, 800K, whatever you're earning, I don't care what it is. That's, it's still a lot of money to give away, your annual salary, and go blow it in one gesture. I'm not good with that. They can run a homeless shelter for, for two years, maybe. Oh, for those who are unemployed and struggling to pay their rent, that could really help. You know, for the homeless guys who have contact with you, know, you can really help with sleeping bags and all sorts. That's a lot of money. They're indignant. But Jesus says, verse 10, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you. You'll not always have me. I'll leave her alone, says Jesus. What she's done is beautiful. Entirely appropriate. Now, just one caution or caveat. Verse 11, Jesus is not uncaring here. This is not a dismissive, well, the poor you'll always have with you, don't bother with them. If you just turn back one page, and some will remember from the autumn, the last parable he tells here, the sheep and the goats, is all about practical care for those who are struggling. I'm not going to read it all, but just from verse 37 on page 995. Little number 37. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king, Jesus, will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers, you did it for me. So Jesus says, whenever you clothe someone who's without, whenever you visit someone who's sick, whenever you care for someone who's poor, I love that. You do that for your brothers, your sisters, I love that. So he's not, in any sense, critical of or neglecting to care for the poor. Actually, this little phrase, the poor you'll always have with you, comes from Deuteronomy chapter 15. There in Deuteronomy chapter 15, God says, the poor you'll always have with you because you disobey me. It's a sort of punishment. It's a sign of Israel going wrong. It's not meant to be that way. So Jesus would say, oh, no, look, there is a timeless obligation to care for the poor. You've got to have that sort of church that cares for the brothers and sisters You've got to be that sort of people who looks out for one another. You may well aim, some will will care deeply about building those structures into society. Yeah, go for that. But but you mustn't pit that against the generosity, the extravagant gesture for Jesus. 
Don't pit those two against one another. Plan sensibly to care for the poor amongst you. But give generously, extravagantly to him. To this gospel. To this work of the crucified Jesus Christ. Give to that. Plan your money, plan how you spend it, but extravagant gifts for him. Oh yeah, they're beautiful, Jesus will say. Some will know we have, uh, uh, this is slightly dull in one sense, but we've, uh, re- we've uh, got a new treasury team at church, a new, ga- a new guy, it was how we uh, sorted out the church finances, a new team, uh, four or five of them uh, are taking that on, taking, chopped up the role somewhat differently. Uh, none of the uh, elders, uh, staff are cut away from, uh, from knowing that sort of uh, financial, there's a Chinese wall as it were, we don't know what anyone gives, anyone does. But uh, the guy now heading that up, Mike McGann, who some would know, um, He's working it all out and looking through figures and everything. And he said to me the other day, he said, Matt, I know you don't want to know any details, but I've got to tell you, there are some people's generosity is amazing. He said, I've just been blown away because I kind of know what jobs they're doing. And they're giving massive amounts. Matt, I'm really encouraged. You should be encouraged. But I can't tell you any more. Fine, that's fine. The... um, yeah, I mean, just so, it's entirely right. We've got to be thinking, Jesus loves uh, extravagant gestures for him. But there's a sense in which you, you could, I think it's okay to broaden this out as well, not just a financial thing. To make all sorts of extravagant gestures for Jesus. I, I said, uh, it's really a comment for the church family, but when we brought these two congregations together as one. Oh, look, many have poured out hours of labor trying to establish two congregations, and now we brought them back to one. Is that a waste of time? No, no, no. No, Jesus knows you did it for him. That's a beautiful act. And many will make all sorts of sacrifices for Jesus. I read um, uh, recently, been reading the biography of John Sung, who some will know very well and others will never heard of. John Sung is deemed the greatest Chinese evangelist of history. Do you want to know about him? I'm pleased. The uh, John Sung, uh, who was born uh, something like 1901, uh, was a sort of brilliant, uh, brilliant student, and so got sent to the United States for his studies. Uh, studied uh, chemistry and maths, and was a top of his class at university by uh, a country mile, and so got all sorts of awards from uh, Ohio University. He went to uh, initially, uh, so he gets a, he got a golden key. I don't know what it does, uh, but that's an apparently important thing. Uh, gold medal, a national gold medal. He was entered into the Phi Beta Kappa Society for Outstanding Scholars. Uh, and then after that, he, he did his master's and a PhD, and uh, everyone wanted him, Harvard, everyone wants him. Scholarships flowing because he's just so obviously brilliant and talented. He did his master's in nine months, did his PhD in 21 months. I'm really sorry if that's discouraging to you. <laughs> If you're in the middle of a PhD, if you're hitting your four-year mark, I'm sorry. He was very bright. No, he's off the scale bright. Everybody's got a PhD. Everybody's got a PhD. He's obviously very brilliant. This guy's just off the scale bright and talented. Uh, He becomes a bit of a celebrity, both in the United States because he's the first person from China ever to be awarded a PhD. 
And back home in China, he's a well-known guy. Everyone's very proud of him, of their genius. A few years later, something like 1927, that's right, 1927, he's uh, studying further, uh, further studies in New York. He becomes a Christian. The principal of his university has him sectioned and put in an asylum. How can someone so bright believe something so stupid as Jesus Christ? As over six months, he's in an asylum. But look how sick in those six months, he read the Bible cover to cover 40 times. And decided, I need to go back to China and preach about Jesus to people as we set sail on this long voyage. And the one incredibly poignant moment in his biography, he takes everything he's earned, his golden key, his medals, his certificate of these elite societies, his letters from the great and the good, and he throws them all overboard. Kept one thing, his PhD certificate to show his dad, then threw that away. But everything else just threw overboard. Because he knew as soon as he arrived in China, he'd be fated. He could have any job he wanted. And he thought, I need to tell people about Jesus. So he threw it all. So he wouldn't draw back from doing that. It's an extravagant gesture. Much like this woman's. The woman then. She valued Jesus extravagantly. By contrast, second person, of course, is Judas. Judas valued Jesus cheaply. There's the contrast. Uh, verse 14. Then one of the twelve, one of the twelve, yeah, one of the twelve, you can see Matthew's surprise. One of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests. Ah, here's the answer to their problem. How do we kill Jesus when Jerusalem is bursting with people? They went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? What's Jesus worth? Bit of cash. Judas has thought, well, what's Jesus, what's Jesus worth to me? Oh, I don't know. All this talk about him dying. I wonder if this gravy train is coming to an end. What's Jesus worth? So he asks the religious leaders, what will you give me? How much if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. They don't get the wrong idea. It's not... You could melt it down and make an ingot of silver or anything. 30 silver coins. They gave him the coins out of their pocket. Elsewhere in the Bible, 30 silver coins. In Exodus 21, that's what you pay for a dead slave. In uh, Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12, it's the derisory wages, the minimum amount you can pay a shepherd. So what will you pay me if I hand Jesus over to you? Well, minimum wage? 650 an hour for a week's worth. 250 quid, Judas. Yeah, all right. That'll do. It's nothing. Why does he get this so wrong? I wonder, we're not told explicitly, but the fact that he asks for money, what are you willing to give me? Is it that Jesus is well, he's just not the Messiah that Judas wanted. I mean, John's gospel, this incident, John says that, uh, well, Judas kept the money, he kept the purse for the disciples, and obviously thinks the money's running out here. I'll just cash in Jesus for what I can. Jesus isn't worth much to me anymore, says Judas. So here's a question, I guess. Do you ever do the sum like that? 
What's Jesus worth? I don't know. Every so often I might pop along to his place. Church. It's not really his place, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, Every so often I'll pop along and he's, he's worth, I don't know, an hour, a month. Not a lot more. Or even for those of us who are Christians, do you ever do the sum like that? No, I don't want to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. I mean, it's good, good to have a sort of get into heaven card in my back pocket. But beyond that, what's Jesus worth? I don't know. 100 quid a month, two hours. I can probably give him that. N- nothing more. It's not worth any more to me, to me than that. Do you ever just sort of do the sum in those sort of terms? What's he worth? I don't know. He might be interesting, but I can't be bothered to spend the time reading an account of his life. What's Jesus worth? See the contrast? The woman values him extravagantly. Judas, uh, 250 quid. I values him cheaply. A radical difference. So look, before we finish, here's a question, I guess. What is it that she sees that Judas doesn't see? Because there's obviously a difference between them. What is it that she spots? What, what can she discern about him that he just can't see? Let's go back. Uh, let's go back just to verse 12, because we skipped over that. Verse 11, the poor you'll always have with you, but uh, you'll not always have me. Verse 12, what is it that she sees? Jesus continuing to speak, verse 12. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Verse 12. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Now that's odd. In the culture of the time, you die and then you get perfumed and prepared for burial. I guess it's not wildly dissimilar to us today, is it? You don't sort of embalm, no, we don't embalm, excuse me. You don't take someone to the undertaker and get them painted up while they're still alive. That's just a bit odd. The only people who aren't perfumed after they died are criminals in the culture of the day. A criminal die, you just chuck them in a pit. No time for them. You're not allowed to perfume them, to prepare them for their coffins, as it were. So this Jesus seems to be saying, Oh, look, she's preparing me for a criminal's death. This woman, she gets what's going on here. Her extravagance is because she knows I'm going to die a criminal's death for her. That's what the woman sees. She's got it that I'm going to die to take punishment for her so that she can be forgiven. And when she sees that, she'll do anything. How much is Jesus worth? How much are you worth? To put it in those terms. Do you know how much you're worth? 1.3 million pounds. According to the Department of Transport. Uh, that is the notional figure. 
Um, when uh, they decide whether they're going to build some sort of new uh, uh, scheme um, of some kind, a road safety scheme, they have to do a cost-benefit analysis. So how many people die at this crossroads every year? Multiply that by sort of lost income from them earning, well, by t- lost income from people when they're grieving. Uh, and let's t- and, uh, so, we, so the notional figure that the Department of Transport puts upon your head for a road safety scheme is 1.3 million. Let me just say again, it's a notional figure you can't cash yourself in. And you can't look at the person next to you and think, I've got an idea. You can't do that. It's a notional figure. But that's what you're worth, 1.3 million. How much is Jesus worth? If he is the one who has died to save countless billions throughout history, how much is he worth? How much is his death for you, worth. I mean, the Department of Transport says 1.3 million. What, what would you pay if you could, you can't, to get into heaven for eternity in paradise? Oh, you can't. But Jesus has done it for you. What's he worth? This woman has seen more truly than the disciples or anyone else. Jesus' love for us in going to the cross means he's priceless. Uh, a decade or so ago, I had a dinner. I was invited to a dinner in honor of this man. This man is uh, Captain Rambahadu Limbu. That's him in 1966. I met him in about 2000. He wasn't looking quite so sprightly uh, by then. But uh, uh, Captain Limbu, I was quite a big deal to be invited for dinner with him. It was at the Sandhurst, the Royal Military Academy. He's one of the very few living recipients of the Victoria Cross. Obviously the highest medal for military valour that the, the British uh, Army gives out for uh, valour in the face of the enemy. Uh, and uh, so to be invited for a dinner, he, was, uh, he lives uh, in Nepal, he's a Gurkha, but was over and a big dinner uh, in his honour. And I got to go and meet him uh, with a load of Nepalese Gurkhas uh, at the time. Uh, now you can go, you can read it online, his citation for why uh, he was awarded his Victoria Cross. It was actually 1965 when Indonesia invaded Borneo and uh, British troops were there uh, default defending the Sultan of Brunei. It was very complicated, but anyway, uh, that's what the, uh, the battle was. Uh, he was there with uh, uh, four others uh, uh, and uh, they came across three Indonesian posts embedded with machine guns. Uh, Limbu, was about 23 at the time, uh, whipped off a grenade, threw one in and uh, took out one machine gun nest and uh, then his uh, colleagues got shot. So he's the only one uh, still alive and uh, not desperately wounded or injured. And so you can read his citation, it's online. So for the next 20 minutes, he took first one injured soldier and carried him back to British lines under enemy fire. And then he crawled back to the front picked up another, the other living guy, and carried him back, all the while under enemy fire. Took him back to the line, crawled back to the, uh, the front line, unjammed the machine guns, and then stormed up the hill. Just magic, you know, real, apparently it's all, it's all real Clint Eastwood, you know, where eagles there, just stormed up the hill and took out the enemy, uh, huzzah. Uh, so he's, you know, very impressive. But the reason he got his medal was really because he, for 20 minutes, he exposed his life for these two guys who were still alive. He rescued them. 
And uh, so the following year, uh, the Queen gave him his medal, his Victoria Cross at uh, Buckingham Palace. How do you value a man like that? Well, it varies. The following year, he was on a train in India, he fell asleep, and uh, all his war medals were nicked. Who, who's this guy? Idiot, falling asleep. What are these things? Shiny. And as uh, so they nicked his medals and thought, well, I don't know what they sold them for, a few quid. It's all right, he got given another one by the Queen. Uh, she's good like that. Um, how do you, you know, who's this guy? I don't know. Let's nick his medals. They didn't value him. About a decade ago, I went to dinner with him and a load of Nepalese Gurkhas. And some of them were descended from the two who'd been brought back from the front line. They valued him. They honoured him. I don't know how many times they'd heard his story, but he had to stand up and tell his story again. And they tearfully applauded him and made him eat ridiculous amounts of curry. Because <laughs> that's how you show your esteem. Of course they honoured him. In a very real sense, they owed their existence to that man, Rambahadu Limbu. They knew what he was worth. How much is Jesus worth? Verse 13, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whenever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This gospel, which gospel? Well, the one he's been talking about since 26 verse 2, that he would die a death for sinners, that he would be crucified. And so Jesus would say to you and me, look, give everything for this gospel. Give everything for the gospel of Jesus Christ, who, if you're a Christian, has died to save you. How much do you value him? Oh, look, I know, that of course, there'll be some here who think, who is this bloke? What's he worth? Oh, I don't know. I'll nick his medals, metaphorically. What's Jesus worth? I don't know. You, I guess it makes you feel happy, does he? You're a Christian. You like Jesus? Oh, that's nice for you. It doesn't really work for me. Please take the time to know how much he's worth, what he's done. He's of supreme worth. I don't know if you've got round to, I, maybe it's just an odd thing. I have odd moments, idle moments in the shower, and I think, well, what hymns will I want at my funeral? Uh, that may just be me, and um, that's okay. I'm okay to be odd. That's my privilege. You don't have to live with me. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes you think about it, and, oh, you must have this one and this one and this one. If you ever wrote, if ever, excuse me, if I ever do write down the list, you think, well, that's going to go on for about two hours with an encore. Um, not me, that would be a bad taste encore. But, uh, you know, we just go on and on and on. But uh, undoubtedly one that would be there would be, uh, we'll sing it in a minute, of course, when I survey the wondrous cross. Because we're singing it. He demands my soul, my life, my all. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all, demands everything. This woman poured out perfume for Jesus. But what does he go on to do? It's just across the page. Verse 28 of chapter 26. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. She pours out perfume but he poured out his life. 
she extravagantly poured out a lot of money for a lovely man who would save her. Jesus poured out his life for people who hate him, ignore him, reject him. He poured out his life for you. How much is Jesus worth? Everything. So as a church, we come together at six o'clock. How much should we value Jesus? Wonderfully. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that you would give us eyes of faith to see very clearly how much Jesus is worth. You know well the, the variety here this evening, some who don't really get who Jesus is and don't value him very much. Others of us have been Christians for ages but wonder, is he worth that much, really? Father, would all of us be moved to see with ever greater clarity what this woman saw, that he died a death for us so that we might live forever with you in glory. Would we see that Jesus is worth Everything. Amen.